You are listening to The Effective Statistician, episode number 34, getting access for patients to new medications in Germany, the biggest challenges in the HTA's process and how to address them, an interview with Carsten Schwenke. Welcome to The Effective Statistician with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, the weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector designed to improve your leadership skills, widen your business acumen and enhance your efficiency. We are creating an online course for improving your leadership skills as a statistician, even if you have no direct reports. So if you're interested, register your interest on the homepage theeffectivestatistician.com slash course. In today's episode, we'll talk about a very, very special case for HTA submissions, the HTA submissions in Germany. These are really, really important to master because not only is the German population a very, very big one, it's for many indications one of the biggest markets in the world. There's also a very, very complex system in terms of pricing across the world. And lots of the different other countries reference the German price to get to their price. So the German price has indirectly an impact on lots of different prices of medications around the world. So you will get an understanding of the importance of this process. You will learn about the key processes and stakeholders. You will get an overview of about common challenges and learn and how to address them. This podcast is created in association with PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the special interest groups, the video on demand content library, which actually has very, very nice things for the episode today, free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of The Effective Statistician. And I'm here again with my co-host Benjamin Pieske. Hi Benjamin, how are you doing? Hi Alex, I'm very well, thanks. And we are actually coming here of just a PSI one day event uh, about real world evidence and um, one of the big topics was also how this is applied in HTA and in different uh, areas. Um, we had representatives from different um, HTA bodies and including ZQuick and of course lots of the discussions as we had this real world evidence day here in Germany were about the HTA submissions here in Germany. And as such, we have an expert as a guest today, Carsten Schwenke. Hi Carsten, how are you doing? Hello, I'm fine. Hope you did. Okay, so um, Carsten, uh, maybe you can explain a little bit about what you're doing and um, what's your role and experience in the, in the German system. Sure, I can. So my, my background is statistics, so I studied statistics and then worked for about 10 years in pharma industry, uh, mainly in clinical development. And then since 10 years, I'm an independent statistician, uh, work as consultant for pharma industry. And this mainly in the HDA process in Germany since 2011, 
when the so-called Amnok process was invented. And the Amnok process is some sort of um, assessing the evidence so that the decision makers can decide on an additional benefit compared to a comparator which is chosen by the authority. And then when you do have an added, added benefit, you can negotiate a higher price compared to the standard of care. And the standard of care is chosen by the so-called Federal Joint Committee, which is a committee that also decides on the additional benefit. And then there's another player, which is the so-called EQUIC. It's the... Um, um, Scientific consultants? Yeah, it's an independent institute to assess from the methodological point of view the dossiers which you have to submit. And a dossier for the HDA process, it's somewhat similar to what you submit as CTD to the EMA, for example. So you also have five different modules, but the content is really different. So what you have to do is to um, work on the clinical data you have. You have to provide evidence that there is additional benefit and that there is additional benefit depends on whether you have direct data compared to the GBA or um, Federal Joint Committee chosen comparator or whether you need to have some sort of like indirect comparisons where you then provide evidence to show the additional benefit. Okay, so I'm <clears throat> I'm a little bit new to the process. <laughs> I haven't had many exposure to it. So maybe can we just go a little bit like a step higher and like describe the overall process a little bit more for everyone, also the non-German statistician listening. Uh, so what are the steps, or what is the you know from a higher perspective the high-level steps uh, for for the process? I mean, you already mentioned a lot of you know stakeholders, and so we get to this a little bit later. But yeah. for now. Yeah, maybe the, the whole process looks like that the timelines are strict and what you need to do is to submit a dossier with all the clinical evidence at the day you get the approval. Um, well, uh, approval in terms of you get the approval by the EMA, then you have some time to um, uh, announce this approval to the German authorities and then uh, the clock starts. You need to submit within one month after the approval. Then the EQIC has three months to assess the dossier. Then there will be a three-week uh, time period where you can um, make your points in a written statement and then two or three weeks after you have submitted your written statement there will be an oral hearing and about six weeks later you get the decision by the GBA. But the point is these times are really strict so you have to submit within this time period otherwise they will disregard your dossier and disregarding the dossier would mean that you don't get additional benefit and therefore no premium price. And this is really a challenge, especially for the biostatistics groups, since it is not sufficient to just provide all the analyses which are provided in this clinical study report, the CSR. 
you have to do much more than that. You have to do more analysis in different ways. Sometimes you have to um, to do analysis on subpopulations, especially those populations which fit to the label, mm. to the indication. It uh, it is about um, showing all these endpoints and here the patient relevant endpoints in a certain way so that they are accepted uh, by eQuick and GBA and there you you need to provide all these analyses which means that usually you start about 12 months before you submit the dossier to work on the dossier so it's more or less the same time that you start working on it as you submit to EMA. Well, that's actually the latest point where you should start. Yes. It takes at least a year to actually prepare the value dossier. Is, exactly. And um, well, the, the average amount of these dossiers are, well, the, the modules, the module one is a summary of all the modules, two, and two up to four. The two is um, explaining the mode of action of the drug and how it works. The three would be the prevalence, incidences, um, showing which comparator is appropriate, all these things. The costs, where the statisticians are usually not so heavily involved, but the module four is a big one. And the module four, there you need to provide all the evidence. And the module four is, on average, uh, well, in or in in a range of five hundred to two, two to three thousand pages, full of uh, documentation, full of tables, full of figures, full of text, where you provide all the evidence, and this is then assessed by eQuick. So, um, and to fill this two thousand pages, you need to be really prepared to have all the resources already in place mm. that someone can do the, all these analyses to then put into the dossier. And, and one point to have in mind, this dossier is actually in German language. Yes, it's in German language. The, the whole process is in German language. So you are lost if you don't speak German. And this is also some issue for uh, reviewing the dossier, since if your headquarter is in the U US or UK and nobody speaks German, you should not start translating 2,000 pages into English and then get back all the review comments on the English language, which doesn't help for the German language Translate. since it's not a word-by-word -word translation. It's all also about strategy. So you have to think about um, what was done in uh, former procedures, former dossiers, what you can learn from these, and then what to, to put into the dossier, since the dossier is not only aimed for the GBA, but you have different stakeholders. You have the GBA, mm -hmm. sure, who assesses the dossier from a political point of view, then you have the eQuick who assesses the dossier from a methodological point of view. Then you have the clinicians in the, um, in the uh, medical societies who somehow are addressed since they want to see how the 
drug works, you have other stakeholders like patient representatives who need to be convinced that the drug is good. So you don't write the, the dossier for one stakeholder, but for a couple of stakeholders, and you have to somehow convince all of them, which is a challenge, well, definitely. Especially now, since you, for example, for the, what you mentioned, the, the part three about the economic um, side of the of the dossier. So, I mean, you need to work together probably quite closely then with other stakeholders within the company, like health economists and or who's. Yeah. Well, whom you need is uh, first of all regulatory affairs, yeah. since if there is any change in the label. If there's any change in the timelines, if there's any change in the whole submission process to EMA, you need to know in advance or quite early when, when the decision comes out. Mm. So you need to get all the um, regulatory documentation like the day 80, day 120, day 150 reports. Also so that you are. Into the dossier as well. Yeah, yeah. Five, I think. You need to provide these, but also if there's any change, you need to know since sometimes you need to re-analyze all the, your data since the label looks different. You have a different subpopulation which is covered by the label mm -hmm. and then the total population doesn't work anymore. So you need the analysis for a certain subpopulation. Yeah, and this is really um, a mess if you don't have enough resources to do this and this needs to be known by the statisticians who do program the, the um, analysis since they sh need to know that there might be the case that they have to rerun so they need to set up all the programs that this can be done easily. Mm. So, so just as an example, um, it could be the case that um, you have run your study in um, in a population that includes various pretreatments, and and then the, the and maybe you know and what the label basically in the end says oh it's all approved for these four pretreatments but not for the fifth one that you have also in your study and that maybe include let's say 25 percent of your population and then you basically need to rerun all your analysis on the 75% of, of the population. So you need to have processes and resources in place to actually handle these kind of last minute situations because it could ha happen very, very late in the regulatory uh, discussions. Yeah, and also um, sometimes you need to recalculate within this three week written statement period. So you get the assessment by EQUIC, they say, well, this population doesn't fit so much, we want to see the analysis for a certain subpopulation, then you need to rerun it, do the QC, do put it into a document, have that all in German, and this within three weeks, including review within the company. And this is a challenge. I believe it is. And I, actually, I had the question on my mind, you know, to ask where your role as expert or consultancy comes in, but it's always so everywhere, basically. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, my role is more or less, um, in the first place, um, helping with the strategy. So to review what is there, so all the evidence which is available, to review what is the indication, does the study fit to the indication which 
uh, does the comparator fit to the mm. comparator of the GBA? Um, how can the study be sliced down so that at least a subpopulation fits to the label at the end um, to check whether there needs to be indirect comparisons if we need anything else, then to set up this analysis plan. Then uh, I very often work as translator between the market access department and the global biostatistics department to explain that all the analysis which the market access requires is really a requirement by GBA. So it's not, <laughs> not, not fun, not nice but we need to have that. Otherwise, the dossier would be incomplete, and incomplete dossier would mean no additional benefit. And that's we want to avoid. And then uh, usually I um, accompany the, the whole process. So dossier writing, uh, we also do some... Uh, sometimes the analyses since we, we have all the programs in place so that um, at the end of the day we can uh, transfer the atom data sets into uh, module 4 comp compatible um, tables so that you just need to copy and paste but um, the other point is to um, set up a questions and answers document where I support so what are the issues? What are the obvious issues? What are the not so obvious issues? What would be the answers? Mm. Which answers to be put already in the dossier? Which to keep for the written statement? Which to keep for the oral hearing? And also to, to support in the simulation of the hearing. And in certain instances also well, um, participate in the oral hearings uh, sitting there at the methodologist in the hearings and then fighting for the product and mm. the additional benefit. So, so just you know, stepping back, we, we talked about GBA, which is actually the German abbreviation of the Federal Joint Committee uh, in Germany. Um, Bundesausschuss. Mm -hmm. And um, but the GBA is actually a committee that consists of different stakeholders. Can you explain a little bit what are these different stakeholders and how that then works at the oral hearing? Yep. So the, the GBA consists of three independent chairmen. There is the chairman, which is Professor Hecken. He's the independent one. And there's, there are two others, independent ones. Then you have the boards, which is on the one side, you have the sick funds. Um, which have a vote and you have five of them so five votes for the sick funds and the they, they want to see that there is additional benefit since it has a budget impact if they give you an additional benefit you get a premium price so the expenses will increase on the other side you have the physicians so the uh, institutional um, medical societies um, and they want to have good products on the market at a cheap price since if the health system pays more on medications there's less for the physicians <laughs> sure um, but uh, well, they, they, they have in mind uh, they want to see a good evidence and they want to see that the evidence which is provided is 
profound and solid so that you can really claim an additional benefit. And on that side, you also have five people or five, five votes. So overall, you have 13 votes. The point is, in many cases, there is a balancing out. So on one side, the sick funds, on the other side, the physicians. So it's up to the independent chair, chair, chair. Mm. to decide. And so you need to convince also the independent people. So the, simple the majority chairman. is enough to, to yeah. get not... Exactly. Mm. And then you have, as a non-voting member, the patient representatives who have a, mm. they, they can speak up, but they don't have a vote, but they can influence. Obviously. And in the oral hearings, you have the key opinion leaders from the medical societies mm. who also can speak up, don't have a vote, but can influence. Mm. So overall, it's, it's at the end of the day, always the question, is there really an unmet medical need or is it some me too product? Is there good evidence in terms of direct evidence and are the endpoints patient relevant? And for example, progression-free survival in oncology is not seen by GBA as patient relevant. Patient relevant would be overall survival or quality of life or safety. And at the end of the day, you have to provide data on four endpoint dimensions, which is mortality, morbidity, quality of life, and safety. And you should provide data on all four dimensions. And in many cases, you don't have good data on quality of life, which is a pity since it's so important in the whole process. So it improves now with the new studies, but still we are not there where we need to be. And that's the good thing if the clinical development statisticians know already about the HDA process, since they need to fight for good data so that at the end of the day in the dossier we can present good data. So, so what does good data mean? So, so obviously we, you know, that is after you have achieved regulatory approval, so you could just argue, well, you know, the EMA already said you had good data, so, so what kind of other good data do you need to, to get here and uh, to be successful here? Because obviously it's, it's really important that um, Germany is not only lots of people, uh, lots of patients uh, to be treated, but also in terms of the overall economic uh, benefit is uh, Germany is a reference price com uh, country for lots of uh, other countries. So therefore, it's, it's really important from that end as well. It is what the, the data you present is slightly different, which you present to EMA compared to what you present for the, to the GBA. Since for the GBA, the relevant data is the data of all the patients who were treated within the label. For EMA, they look on, for example, for safety on all studies you have you have done also on studies with different doses, different schedules, different patient populations. They check for any signal in AEs, right? In the GBA or in the AMNO process, to be general, um, they want to see that 
the patients who are treated within the label do not have any harm with regard to adverse events or you may even show some additional benefit in adverse events. So you may gain an additional benefit just by showing that you are better in adverse events and not better or at least not worse in efficacy and quality of life. But it's really hard to show additional benefit in safety compared to placebo. Yes, it's well. It it may happen. Yeah. It may happen, especially when you treat symptoms, um, and when you collect data which are not so easily differentiable: symptoms and adverse events. So, mm -hmm. if if you treat diarrhea, and you also collect diarrhea as adverse event, you have both in your data. But um, but at the end of the day. For the GBA, it's not so important in which endpoint dimension you have the additional benefit. If you can show the additional benefit in any of these dimensions and no harm in, in the others, you still get the additional benefit. And this is really a matter of the overall assessment of all the benefits and harms you have in the different endpoints. And this is not so methodological stringent as the assessment by endpoint. So by endpoint there, there are rules how to assess the amount of additional benefit. Um, maybe I, I should first explain uh, the two dimensions how the GBA assesses the additional benefit which is the amount so how much additional benefit you have so and how fast. certain Yeah, effect size and how certain you are. So um, whether the evidence you use has a high evidence or it's a low evidence. And at the end of the day, these two dimensions uh, you assess for each of the endpoints. And then at, at the end of the day, you make an overall assessment, a holistic approach, so to say, to say whether overall there will be an additional benefit and how certain you are that this benefit is there. And um, so you, you at the end get to, or the GBA will get to the, to the decision. Okay. In, in, uh, in terms of the, the comparison, I think that is uh, very often kind of a matter of debate in terms of uh, many of the um, Phase three programs are placebo controlled, uh, and my understanding is you need to have an active comparator that represents um, the, a relevant comparator for the GBA, which is usually not placebo, but an other active treatment. So it's not about kind of showing you're better than placebo, it's about showing you're better than another active compound, in, in usually. Well, to be more general, it's about standard of care. And the standard of care could be uh, a medic um, um, uh, medication, it could be non-medication. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the end of the day, it's really about what is the standard of care at the moment in Germany. And this is usually chosen as the comparator. It needs to be approved in this indication. It needs to be established. It needs to be, hopefully, in, in a good S3 guideline. 
then you have a high probability that it is also at least also chosen as a comparator. But in many cases, it's even not a single treatment they chose, but it is something like physician's choice. So there are a couple of treatments which you could use, and there is no clear algorithm in the guidelines which one to use in which scenario. And then you need to show, compared to physician's choice or patient individual uh, therapy, that you have an additional benefit. And usually the studies are not set up in this way. There are certain studies in this way, but not too many. But this, what, this is one of the learnings of the AMNOC process. When you set up the phase three trials, your pivotal trials for submission to the regulatory authorities, you need to think about the comparator and which one to use. And as it, these are usually global uh, projects, some comparator has to be chosen, and this is not necessarily what you would choose in Germany, but it should be a comparator so that you are able to do at least indirect comparisons in a good way. So you need to use a comparator where you have good data at least so that you can somewhat translate and do the indirect comparisons. How do you as a company find out what is the uh, relevant comparator of choice of the GPA? Well, you can ask for an advice meeting. So you get advice by the GBA. This implies that you know the indication or at least the proposed indication in the submission since uh, it takes a while to get this advice meeting. So it usually takes 10 to 12 weeks from um, requiring such an advice meeting up to the decision. So when you get the um, data or the, the announcement from GBA which the comparator is. Usually, well, in most cases, it's quite clear what the comparator should be, since the guidelines are quite clear or there is no tr other treatment, so it is best supportive care. And this happens many cases in late-line oncology trials, where you don't have any standard treatment anymore. Um, the guidelines say, well, try to get into some clinical study and there it's just best supportive care. But in those cases, it's also in the study, usually best supportive care plus placebo. So in most cases, it's quite clear. There are cases where it might be challenging since um, you need to ask for this advice meeting. Within these three months, already you work on the data you have a hypothesis what the comparator is but when you get the comparator decision then after three months and it's completely different to what you have expected then you start from scratch with new analyses mm -hmm. right since you have to check whether you have data on this for this comparator if you need to run indirect comparisons you may slice down the study population to make the studies more similar all these issues which you have with indirect comparisons i was wondering you mentioned that the the um, gba is assessing the you know certainty and effect of of um, 
of the data or of the of the results. So how does it quantify the price? So is there what, what is the way of determining the price itself? Uh, is there any you know guidance and you know how this is done? Well, this is a good good question uh, with regard to is the price already discussed in this environment and indeed it's not it's a two-step approach the first step is to define the additional benefit or to come to, to the decision on an additional benefit based on the evidence and then the GBA is out and you just negotiate the price with the uh, SIG funds but the price with the SIG or the, the um, board of SIG funds And there, the basis for these price negotiations is the decision on the additional benefit. And then there are also other um, points which come into account, which is a European reference price, prices of similar drugs in the same indication, etc. So that, but this whole package of negotiation is not within the GBA process. It's a second yeah. step. All right, yeah. Yeah, I think that is a really, really important point. So, so it's very different to lots of other areas like NICE or um, uh, where you have directly a health economic model and, and you look into these kind of things or a budget impact model uh, that's completely off the table. And I think the, the important point is you need to have at least an non-quantifiable minor at a benefit to have the ticket to go into the price negotiation because if you don't have that then you're even not entering the price negotiation am i right well in most cases you still enter the price negotiations but you have difficulties to get a premium price but let's assume you you have as comparator a good drug which is already on the market And this good drug has a high price. Well, the rule is that you, if you cannot show an additional benefit, you get a price which is not higher than the comparator. But if the comparator has already a good price, the aim could be to get along with no additional benefit and then in the price negotiations have a good anchor for your price negotiations mm -hmm. since the comparator is with high price. Mm -hmm. Well, this doesn't work if you have s several comparators from which one is the high price comparator, but you also have best supportive care, which is cheap. Mm. Since best supportive care always also belongs to your patients, since, well, with, with um, the treatment with your drug doesn't mean that they don't get any best supportive care drugs anymore. So best supportive care is somewhat the basis and then you compare your drug price against placebo, so nothing. So um, while price negotiations, it's, it's really a separate topic. Yeah. I'm also involved in this, but um, well, we, we here now talk about the first step where yeah. all the uh, statisticians from clinical de development are also involved. And there it is really that in many cases you also need to run analysis which were not published anywhere else. 
like subgroup analyses for safety. So you need to run safe, um, subgroup analysis on all the safety categories like patients with adverse events, with serious adverse events, etc., which were nowhere published up to that point. But GBA wants to see that. They want to check whether there is any signal for a greater harm or for a lower harm. In any of the subgroups. By the way, speaking about subgroups, what kind of subgroups are we looking into? Well, usually you need to provide analysis for all the subgroups which you defined in your study protocols, but not only for the endpoint where you defined it in the protocol, but for every endpoint. So if you have, let's say, and I had that example, you have 20 endpoints and you have 30 different subgroup definitions, you end up with quite a lot of subgroup analyses. <laughs> But um, the point is you need to provide all this and it's a huge effort to pro provide all this. It's a huge effort to sh display these in the dossier. It's a huge effort to come to a storyline since you have to think about a storyline, how to put all these information pieces together to, mm -hmm. to come to a good story. And this needs to be presented in a way that somebody from the GBA can understand this. And now, how to summarize 2,000 pages of evidence into, let's say, a one-pager. Well, well, I think one of the key things that I have seen there is that you look into the p-value of the interaction test between the um, subgroup variable and the uh, and treatment, mm -hmm. and you put this p-value, these p-values matrix of endpoints times subgroups um, into a big kind of table, so that you can at least see are there kind of any patterns you exactly. know is it always the same subgroup that has a treatment effect across all the different possibly related endpoints or is there something you know or one endpoint that has across all the different subgroups something so i think that's already a good starting point to, to get a little bit of a feeling of it and to kind of you know possibly develop a story or basically see Well, it's completely at random. There's kind of, you know, you look at this grid and says you mark those that are significant, maybe in red, and you see it's kind of completely scattered over. And it's, yeah. yeah, in most cases, you just see a random pattern. So okay. you don't see any real patterns. But uh, you also have to check whether there is a bio biological rationale for this. So is there any medical... Um, knowledge about this uh, subgroup category as effect modifier or not. Since if there's nothing known but you see a gender effect in your data for one endpoint, well, it, it's most probably really a random effect mm. rather than really something. In, in terms of that, there's, there's some also required subgroup analysis that you need to do? Well, you definitely need to provide subgroup analysis on gender, age, uh, severity of disease and region. So 
in terms of all countries. Um, but obviously, if you have a study in prostate cancer, gender is not so in informative. But um, in all other cases, you at least need to provide these four, even if they are, were not um, defined a priori. But you need to provide also all the a priori defined subgroup analyses. And this is really a huge amount of analysis you need to provide. And I think there it's really, really important if in the protocol you have very good rational for why you did the analysis and, and you have clearly defined kind of, um, for example, cut points on continuous endpoints and not something like oh, we divide by the median of, of uh, some continuous variable and we look into higher ups and the lower ups and, um, and then possibly you have different studies and for each study you have a different kind of cut points and then and it gets really, really nasty. Yeah, absolutely. But also when you set up a trial you should think about whether you need the subgroup definition for this study also. In many cases, when you, when you check the protocols for the phase 3 trial and then you ask back to the clinical team why this and th that subgroup is still in, well, in many cases, the answer is, well, we, we've done that in the phase 2 trial and we just copy and paste it. But you think about whether you really need this subgroup analysis and um, whether you can do something, how to interpret the results at the end of the day. Since you need to report, uh, report it, if it is a priori defined, and then you should be able to somewhat in, interpret the results. So, so what's a, what could be kind of the drawback if you have too many subgroup analyses? What could be? What could happen in the process? Well, the, what could happen is that you do see some random pattern, which is unfortunately not looking random. So you end up with the signal which is not really there, but it's just because you have looked at 900 different subgroup analyses and you will find some of these to, to show strange results. And then you need to argue against these. And it could be that maybe, you know, then you get um, additional benefit for just one category of the subgroup but not for the other. Yeah, that, could, could yeah. happen, could happen. So um, what um, very often happen is that they either define subpopulations based on the indication. So if your indication is uh, treatment of first-line patients and second-line patients, GBA will, will define different comparators for the first-line patients as for the second-line patients, so you have to slice down your study population into first-line patients and second-line patients. If you just have second-line patients and EMA gave you the indication for first line also, you don't have any in evidence for the first line patient, so you don't get any additional benefit. Happens. The other point is if you have a potential effect modificator, let's assume you really have differences by age, then you may end up with an additional benefit for the younger, but no additional benefit for the uh, older patients. 
which has no impact on the uh, ability to prescribe the drug and get reimbursed, but for the price negotiations, which is a mixed price across all these subpopulations and subgroups, you may end up with a lower price just because you don't get a higher price for the elderly, you get a higher price for the adults, and depending on the amount or rate of patients, younger and older, you get a different price. Um, Alexander mentioned before already that the process, I mean, we described it in many details now, but the, you already mentioned NICE, for example. So what, what are some other key differences? I mean, we talked about the price negotiation at the end, but then what are the key, what, what are other key differences between other countries So in the, in the process that we look into in Germany? Well, the, the main difference between the UK or England and Wales with NICE and, and Germany with the GVA is that um, here we do have this two-stage approach. Mm. One is, first is setting the evidence and then negotiating the price. In the UK, it's one step. The other point is here, you don't have the economic evaluation. It's just in, in ex exceptional cases. So if in the price negotiations, you don't come to a price you can go to an arbitration board. And within the arbitration board, it may happen in future sometime that there will be an economic evaluation. It doesn't happen for the last 300 cases, but it may in future. In the UK, you have this economic model, which is the basis for the, the whole assessment. So it's a completely different approach. It's, especially with the EQ5D, which is the basis for the UK assessment. And in Germany, it's not accepted as patient-relevant endpoint, except for the visual analog scale. But this is not quality of life, but it's morbidity. Okay. So it's a different dimension yeah. Yeah, and a yeah. different way of looking on it. And it's, it's a good example how different the, the processes are. Mm. And also like the, the time pressure and so on, this is kind of similar in between the countries? So just looking from the resource and planning objective, or do they have like looser time frames where to process the submission? Well, in, in the UK, it's, it's a little bit um, less strict. Yeah. In Germany, you have really strict timelines and you have to fulfill this, these timelines, otherwise you lose. What about US? Um, in the US, it's a completely different okay. system. So we don't start here today. <laughs> uh, we should not. Well, there, there you directly negotiate with Medicare, with Medicaid, with uh, different sick funds. You have a direct conversation. Yeah. You also have to provide data. You have to provide uh, models, budget impact, etc. But it's a really completely different mm -hmm. system. Well, mm -hmm. one of the main, main differences is also kind of the system in, in Germany um, takes care of 90% of the population in Germany. And so it's, it's really, really important. It's, it, you know, if you fail on it, you fail in Germany. It's, kind of, it's pretty, pretty simple. And you fail in Europe. Uh, you, and you fail in Europe due to the reference pricing. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and you just mentioned a word count of about 300 cases, that's about the number of dossiers that have been... Procedures up to now, yeah, yeah. yeah. in 
what, seven years. Okay, yeah. 11 years. Where, where can people find further information about this overall process in terms of documents, uh, the dossiers that were handed in, things like that? Well, if you are able to read German, <laughs> then you go to the homepages of GBA and eQuick. Since all the templates, all the message papers are usually provided in German, there will there is an abbreviated report on the methods in English from from the eQuick. So that's um, the methods guide. The methods guide. EQuick yeah. homepage. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. Um, then, well, there there are a couple of uh, workshops all along, especially on the at the um, biometrics conferences of the. International Biometric Society, German region, where you, um, well, there will be, a, there's always a workshop on HTA and EQUIC um, methodology. Um, there's also the GMDS, for example, where there is there are workshops, there are workshops also in other um, societies, biometric societies, the PSI, who sometimes do workshops on this issue but um, well, and then this, there's the ISPOR so the next ISPOR is mid of November in Barcelona where there will be certain presentations on this issue in terms of PSI, um, there's actually one really nice resource for, for the PSI members uh, Carsten did a really nice three case series on um, the overall system with slide sets and all these kind of things and you can find that on the video de on demand platform on the PSI homepage for, so for PSI members. Um, and I think one important thing is, you know, all these dossiers, so, so the um, modules one to four are all published on the GBA homepage as well as the um, all the accompanying, you know, the reviews from the eQuick, the, the statements from the different uh, reviewers, so the revision from the company, as well as a transcript from the oral hearing, all of that is uh, actually available there. So, so it's pretty, um, pretty much data that is actually out there that you can look into, um, or at least that your German-speaking colleagues from the market access department can have a look into and um, explain what's in there for you. And this has an upside and a downside. The downside is obviously that, um, well, it's, it's public, so everybody can look into the data. The upside is everybody can look into the data. <laughs> and this is especially helpful if you need to run indirect comparison against some product which gone through the process since you have the module 4 with all the data already set up in a way you need it for your dossier and then it's easier to run the indirect comparisons mm. and you can also more easily check whether the studies fit together since you you find much more information than just from the um, publications on on the other trials so this is really a good thing um, on the other hand um, as Alexander mentioned already, um, in the module 4 at the moment you provide the subgroup analysis only for those subgroups where there is a uh, significant interaction between subgroup and treatment group. 
so you have again a limited amount of data you can use for the indirect comparison and you may not pick the subgroups or the subgroups which are important on the other hand if all the subgroups would be presented and this may be in the future then you need to run all the analysis on all the subgroups and also on all adverse events on a preferred term and system organ class level which then ends up with a huge mm. a tremendous amount of data you need to analyze with that thanks a lot for the uh, for the nice talk Carsten um, so uh, just last one last thing is like, how do people find you in case they do need some support you just go to my homepage www.scosses.com which is the easiest or you just uh, search my name in, in Google Yeah. If you come to the homepage, yeah, or you just go to the um, links in the show notes of this uh, episode, uh, which I think showed kind of it's a very very long process. There's a, it's very strict from a process point of view. There's clear kind of guidelines on what to do, but on the other hand, you also need to have a very very good strategy to go through successfully through the process, and It really is about good collaboration with your German colleagues to understand where are all the pitfalls and um, yeah, start with that rather sooner than later. And the major point is having a good strategy and a good storyline at the end of the day, otherwise you're lost. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Thank you. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks for listening. Please visit theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your colleagues about it.